You know, if I were God, I'd kind of get tired of irritated. Because there's a sense where that, you know, God get, you know what God can do? He does all the stuff that we can't do. And it must be so sad for him to walk around with his hands in his pockets, I'm not sure if he does that, and wonder when he's going to be invited to do what we can't do. And, and we have so many places and gatherings where we gather together and we talk about God, but he never gets invited to do what we can't do because we're not quite sure he will. So we do a lot of talking and then we sort of talk about what he, he does and what he did but we never kind of give space for him to do it again. And then we walk out because we get offended because he doesn't do it like we want to do it and he causes our emotions to rise up and our unbelief to rise up and so we decide we're going somewhere else because we're not so comfortable here. And the thing we're trying to encourage one another is do you really think that if you encounter Jesus and you encounter the power of God's spirit that you're always going to feel comfortable? I've never experienced that. And I figure I'm not going to go through this life alone. And the discomfort is just really unbelief and insecurity and our fears. And the only way that we get through our unbelief and discomfort and fears is just to acknowledge them. God's going to heal some people here. He's probably doing it right now. 15, 20 years ago, I would never have gone out on that limb. But I just learned that the more you speak up that God is good and he works, the more he seems free to do it. So I believe that he's going to heal some people here. And in fact, he'll heal people here every week. He'll heal people here when they're not looking. He'll heal people here just because they're here. Just because he loves us. And that phrase that we use, he's able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine, is true. So we want to pursue the unbelievable. Not for the sensation of the unbelievable, but it's just because in our own strength we just can't close the gap. Right? I wonder how many, I mean, how many of us are struggling with stuff? You don't have to all put your hands up. Because everybody will put their hands up and those who don't are just proud, so they're, suffering, they're struggling with that or denial. So, you know, there will be. Anybody can come up here, I'll talk you into an issue. You will have an issue by the time I finish talking to you. <laughs> if you're not aware of it, I'll help you with one. All week together we can. We know that. It's our common humanity. And so some of us settle for far less. God sort of looks at us and says, why are you settling for this? I didn't ask for survivors. I asked for those who are victorious. Now you can be victorious in your total incompleteness. So, we're picking up on something that we started last week, which is, um, well, I was talking about Nicodemus, I was talking about, uh, who else, the woman at the well and Mary, and I was talking about how they encountered Jesus and Jesus encountered them, and how their encounter with Jesus totally transformed them, and that their encounters with Jesus were all encounters that made them uncomfortable. And in a, in, a week, in a month or two, we, we, we come and have a carol service and we have a little child dressed up as Mary. And we have, how sweet. Little Mary and gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And sometimes that's where he's trapped in a Christmas carol, which must be nauseating. I mean, when I was 15 and people would say, you look just like your father. You don't kind of like that. It's, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. 
How, much, how many of you like to be mothered? I'm talking about healthily. You know, how many of you, you know, when you're adult, you don't. There's a certain kind of freedom and there's a sense where Jesus must be so not liking being the baby Jesus when he's actually the risen Lord. That was then. But for Mary to encounter God, God woke her up in the midst of an engagement. I mean, she was engaged and he totally shook her world. And she said, how can this be? And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be with child. But I haven't been with a man. He said, it's not about that. And then people say, you can't believe the virgin birth. And you go, you believe in a creator and you can't believe in a virgin birth? I mean, God could do that with his eyes shut. You know, I, mean, could, I mean, that was easy. Making man was difficult. I'm joking. Um, so Mary had that encounter that we're going to celebrate in a couple of months, on the 25th of December, about the birth of Jesus. That, was, that shook her world, that caused her to have to risk saying to Joseph, you won't believe this, you've heard this many times. Joseph, guess what happened last night? I got pregnant. And, and, and who are you with? Nobody, an angel. How many of you would believe that? The person you're married to, the person you're engaged to, the person you like, and they come back and say, I'm pregnant. And they tell you it's an angel. <laughs> you could do a Monty Python sketch on that one, wouldn't you? I mean, come on. Yeah, and I'm the angel Gabriel. You know, no, it's, it was like that then. How can I believe that? And God, because he's not playing tricks and he's not unkind and he knows what's happening, he gives Joseph a powerful dream that says, no, Joe, this is true. This is true. And so he is set free supernaturally to say, Mary, I believe you. And they, they, they go on this journey. And what I'm wanting to talk about today is enduring hope. You see, we latch on to the Mary and Mary had the baby Jesus and we forget about the 30 years that she traveled with him. We forget about how she had to go through that tension with Joseph, go through the ridicule of the village, go through a lot of things in the process of being a mother to Jesus. And then the woman, Nicodemus, who, who says, how is this? He comes to Jesus at night and he says, how can this be? I cannot wrap my head around it. And Jesus says, you will never wrap your head around it. You've got to let me wrap my heart around you and your head will come into understanding. You will never wrap your head around God. You will never wrap your head. If you can, you've just shrunk wrap him down into your image and that will be very, very sad. You cannot wrap your head around the things of God. God will inform your mind and he will give you intellectual understanding enough to take leaps of faith. But very often those leaps of faith will come after an experience. What a silly little example. And I, I want to protect the identity of the person. They're not here. But, you know, I've been friends with a guy for a long time and he's gone through all kinds of ups and downs and relational issues and he's still on his own. And I bumped into him actually at a store yesterday. It was so nice to see him. And, and in his car, he's got this big dog. Um, it's one of these... I, no, I better not even say what it is because I don't want you to know who it is. It's, it's, it's this big dog and he got it about a year ago. And I said, hey, that's cool. And he said, oh, I love it to bits. And I had coffee with him a few months ago and he said, you know... And he was very almost awkward, but he said, that dog 
has awakened in me something I thought I'd never have again. And a feeling of love. I can laugh at that, but it's not, I'm not saying it at all for that. I'm just saying we don't know what sometimes is dormant in us, or what is hurt, or what is suppressed in us. And God is wanting to release things in us, some of which we're not even sure we'll ever have again. And one of the dangers we do in our lives is we actually define ourselves by what has happened in the past or what doctors have said or whatever. And we need to allow God to say, this is who I see you. This is what I am. And so he calls up, you know, Nicodemus cannot, cannot get hold of this. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, unless my spirit comes upon you, unless my spirit actually impregnates you, Nicodemus, rather like Mary, you will never see me. You need me to help you. How many of you have children that just, they're born, you feed them milk, and then they start reading? And they start writing, and they start doing it. How many of you have that genius? No one. Why? Because it doesn't happen like that. You give birth, you cradle, you nurture, then they, they grow and then they begin to learn and they begin to experiment and then they have to be taught and you open a book and you have pictures. Spiritual growth is exactly the same. Some of us are waiting for the miracle that's never going to happen. Some of us, the way we, we're so passive that we think that we're going to say, please come up and for prayer. And you come up for prayer and say, Lord, I pray that you, that you do this and then we go away again. Which is about as stupid as saying, John, will you pray for my child to automatically know English and be able to read without a mistake? And if we said, I'd like you, you know, bring your children up because we're going to pray for instantaneous learning, how many of you would think that's a little crazy? We would go, you, it doesn't work like that. So you pray for the capacity to learn, the discipline to sit down. The same is true in the spiritual world. So Nicodemus, when he's heard from God and he's heard God say through Jesus, this is a different thing, you have to be born again, and he doesn't know what that means, and Jesus says, well, the Spirit does this, and he goes away and ponders it. By chapter 7 of John, you have him saying in the Sanhedrin, which is a hostile group, give that guy a voice. And by the time Jesus is crucified, you have said Nicodemus coming out with Joseph of Arimathea and taking him off the cross and identifying with the, the Jesus who was killed and he doesn't even know he's going to be resurrected. All the evidence shows Nicodemus would have been a founding member of the Christian church. The Spirit of God began to move on him as he began to question and say, please help me understand. God loves that. The woman at the well came into a place where she was ostracized by everybody. And she meets Jesus at the well and Jesus says, out of you will flow streams of living water if you want it. If you knew who was talking to you, you would ask. So you don't have to come every day. Many of us come to God every day with our little buckets and we come to this well because we've always done it. It's a tradition. And Jesus is sitting on the well. We don't even see him and he wants to engage us, but we don't believe we can talk to him. So we don't. And he keeps on trying. And he's saying, if you only knew what I could release in you, streams of living water, your life would flow in a way that would be far less frantic. You would know my peace that passes understanding. You would know that I live in you. You are not an orphan. There is hope for you because I love you. 
You go looking for jobs right now, you go looking at anything, what's the cliche again? It's not what you know, it's who you know. So what happens if who you know, being Jesus, opens the doors for everything? Because in the pecking order of who you know, who you know who's the most important is the most powerful. So what happens if you just go, I happen to know the living God? And he's Lord over everything, including you. That's what Jesus said to Pilate. Pilate said, I have authority to kill you. And Jesus said, no, you don't. I'll see you later. He didn't say that, but he entrusted himself to his father. He said, you only have power that is actually released to you right now. And you're misusing it. What happens if you live with an idea of God that is greater than your circumstance? I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm just talking about if it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. And that the person who's the most powerful in this world also actually delights in you. And you can walk into his office any time. You don't have to say Mr. CEO. You have to just say Dad. The trouble is half the churches have said, no, you have to say Mr. CEO. And then you have to talk to the priest and he will go into the Holy of Holies. And Jesus says, I thought that was killed. But religion will have us coming to God religiously. And Jesus wants us to come to God relationally. One person agreed with that. Thank you. Thank you, sister. So what if you can come to God relationally? What's the problem? If he likes you, he loves you, he adores you, everything he has is yours, what's the problem? Receiving is the problem. Believing and receiving that you are in that status with him because of what he has done. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans. I better get back to my notes. Romans chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. And those of you who have cell phones, don't pretend you're turning to it and do your Facebook. (laughs) We should actually turn off the internet during services, just in case. But then that's too much control, so you can do what you like. Maybe if I was speaking, I would also turn on my cell phone. I don't know. Um, Paul is talking about uh, faith. In verse... Chapter 4, verse 14, he says, The promise comes by faith that may be by grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Faith by grace means this. It means that God has done everything that we need. I better stay here so I can be disillusioned for a few minutes. That God, is, God provides us because of what he's done, provides for us by what he's done. The world in which we live is all about earning and merit. So if it's not by faith, it's going to be by works. And then by works it becomes, I have enough money, I have enough education, I have enough this, I have enough that. The analogy I've used is going to Tofino and having people swim off uh, Tofino to Japan. And you have everybody from doctors, educated professors, to people who can't even read and write, and they all jump out and swim. Guess who's going to get to Japan? Who's going to get to Japan? Nobody's going to get to Japan. Most stupid thing you could possibly do. Your merit and your education and your physical ability, is it's impossible to swim to Japan. Which is the same thing as getting reconciled to God. In fact, reconciled to God. If you can't even swim to Japan, why would you consider? When God says, there's a boat on the beach, hop in, I'll take you to Japan. That's called grace, mercy, provision. Christianity is just about people in boats who have been picked up by Jesus. 
There's not a lot for me to boast about other than I hopped in the boat. I'm still swimming. I'm so tired. Hop in the boat. I'm not even going to go down that sort of alley right now. You know the story. So Paul says, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may may be by grace and may be guaranteed. And then he, I'm just skipping, we don't have time. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Listen to this. He who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. You could learn that one. I don't like learning because I never remember anything. But the God who gives life to the dead and who calls into being things that were not. So we're going to end this service with that kind of phrase, which is believing for what you do not yet have, rooted in that word, all right? So if that is true, then lots of things that you don't see any hope for and you don't see any way through or you don't think will ever come alive in you could. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. You know the story of Abraham, but if you don't, I'll quickly tell you and I will mean quick. Abraham's 80 years old. His wife is 80 years old. She's barren. In other words, she's way beyond even sex, let alone children. Somebody at 80 here might contradict me there. I better shut up. (laughs) I'm getting a lot of raised eyebrows and say, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So we'll just say she couldn't have children. And Abraham couldn't have children. He's 100 years old. So it looked bleak. And the promise he gets is worse than the one to Mary because they're just young, virile teenagers. This is like you're going to have a child. He says, what? I mean, I could interview some of you and say, come up here, you're going to be pregnant and see your reaction. You go, well, there you go. Abraham, Sarah. So tempting to invite all the over 70s to come up here right now. (laughs) Who wants to be pregnant? (laughs) All right. Abraham, he was told he was going to have all these children and he didn't have any evidence to believe it and eventually he did. That's what that's talking about. He did not waver through, this is verse 20, he did not, no, well let's just quickly look at 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You see, I wasn't making that up. Since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Like dead. Like not working. And it says he faced the fact, so he wasn't saying, let's pretend. He said, this is over. But God who is able to make things out of what is not, if he can create the universe recreating a womb and bringing a man back to life, it's like, what do you mean difficult? It's not even an issue for God. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And I want to just sort of spend the last few minutes talking about this process. Therefore, this is verse chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith and into this grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. 
I'm not going to go through the rest. I just want to pick that up. God, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Before you knew him, God died for you. Before you were even aware, God actually poured out his life for you. Before you were even conscious of sin, God said, I know that this guy is going to actually mess up his life. I'm going to provide a way for him to find forgiveness. Jesus on the cross did that for you. Before you agreed, before you even cared. And for some people that was an act that was done in vain and for others it's been appropriated. God did not ask your permission, he just knew your condition. The God of love who loves people provides for their condition. An unfair God who does not care about people does not provide for their condition. And God provided for your condition, said, that thing that's in you, that shame and guilt and unforgiveness and regret, it can be healed on that cross. That's why they're broken chains. Every chain represents something that binds you. We all know what that feels like. And you can make resolution after resolution that doesn't break the power of it. God's forgiveness does and his blood shed on the cross. But... With the amen. amen, 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 that is God's work of conception. That is God's work of cleansing in order that we might live. And one of the things we've got stolen from in our churches is, is the inheritance that God won for us. It's the inheritance. He, he said, if God were to love you before you even confessed your sin, and then after you've confessed your sin, he walks away and says, that's done. No, he did it so that life could be lived with him in power and majesty and you could know things in you that you would never have known before like Nicodemus and the woman at the well and Mary and every other person named in the Bible. Oh my word, we're stirring it up this morning. But seriously, we have, we've, we've been stolen, our inheritance has been stolen. So we live around, as I always say, we live in, the, in, in Egypt the, the, in this misery of repenting all the time and never inheriting. God went to the cross to release us into a new life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, why would he do all of this if he wasn't going to do all of that? And all of that is, it's not just about rescuing me from something, it's rescuing me for something. So he doesn't want human beings strutting around being victims and going, I'm defeated by the world. He wants people who goes, I might actually die young but I know a God in whom there is life beyond this. And that is grounds for my hope today. And I want to live hope-filled. I want to live above my circumstances. And I want to contribute to the people around me so that together we live above our circumstances. Because we are generous and we are hope-filled. That's a cool reality, isn't it? Some of us think so. Some of us are just so miserable. Nothing will make you smile this morning. But God still loves us. I'm getting there. I'm nearly finished. You see, people who are filled with hope have a basis for their hope because of what God has done. Do you know what you have if you don't have hope filled with God? You have wishful thinking. There are lots of people with wishful thinking which is, please change it and may it not hurt. It's called fantasy, it's called dreaming, it's called wishful thinking. We've all met people, every time you meet them, they're just about to do something, they're just going to do something. We're hoping it'll change, and you go, what are you doing? Nothing. So this is the really good news of what I'm saying today. 
you've got to do something. With all that God has done, you and I have to do something. And so tucked into Romans 5 are words like suffering and perseverance and endurance upon which hope is based. The hope of God is based on the work of God and the response of people who embrace that and walk with that. But it takes some doing. Nah, that's too bad. But guess what? You're going to be doing something anyway. Everybody's doing by faith all the time. When I was at university for the first two years, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. It was more hard work not doing what I was meant to do. And I had to drop out and then pay for two years and work to get back into you. It was way more work than actually just listening in the lectures and doing a bit of work. I had more free time, actually, when I knew what I was doing. So I just want to encourage you with these words of suffering. (laughs) And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. If you want the hope of God, you've got to deal with suffering. If you want, to deal, if you want the hope of God, you've got to allow things to be, um, take their time, take their course. Your hope is that what God has promised is coming and while it's coming, he's going to be teaching you some things so that, you know, some of us, we're we're asking God for things and he's saying to us, I want to give it to you, but because you want it without the development, I can't release it to you. Because for you to carry what you're asking me, I have to build character into you. And if you won't allow the character to be built into you, you're never going to get what you're asking. Because you won't be able to carry it. And if you do get it, you'll ruin it. We are surrounded in life with... Uh, with um, what we're talking about, what Paul's talking about, is the most obvious thing in the world. It's around us all the time and we accept it in every other sphere of life except in the walking of faith. Which is why I brought you this beautiful branch. It's an apple branch. Apples grow on this branch. Can you see any apples? How could an apple grow on this branch? This is the obvious. You see, everything spiritual has an obvious analogy to it. So I'm going to close with this. You see, suffering, it might be suffering or just might be pruning. This grows on this. If you'd never seen it before, you'd go, that's a miracle. How on earth does this come onto this? And there are many of them. And I, you know you can go out in the middle of the night and listen and this thing is not making a sound. It doesn't grow, groan. The bears came and ate all of them last year. Now I could have spent a long time trying to get bears into my garden, but when there's fruit in the garden, they come. The same is true with life. Not just bears. People are attracted to fruit. You don't have to wave this around and beat everybody up with it. Just let it bear fruit and people will come. Taste and see that God is good. 
But we want, to sacri- we want to bypass the process, so therefore we go and buy apples. And then we think we can buy the fruit of our character, and you can't. It has to grow. And it has to grow from the roots into the branch, through the branch, into the fruit. What happens at this time of the year? Somebody comes along who's called a gardener, and they have these vicious, work, vicious things called pruning shears. And this one's stuck now, Cheryl. Doesn't want to be pruned. Do you want to come and open this for me, please? I know what I'm doing, but I don't know how to get it done. There we go. All right. And somebody comes along and says, um, this is not producing enough. Ow! When were you, just as a point of interest, last pruned? When were you last pruned? This thing also does this. Look what happens. I mean, over the next few months... What did you say? What are you all what are you all clapping for? That's exactly how you live your life. Get over yourselves. That's exactly how you live your life. We vacuumed it yesterday, so we're making a mess today. But live a little. You can vacuum again. <laughs> this is now severely pruned and in winter. It's a season. And while the leaves are not on the tree and there's no apple in sight, there's something going on in the roots and something goes, this is the same as your life. Some of us are in winter and we're asking for, for apples and God says, go through the process. When were you last pruned? When were you last told no? Wait. Trust. How comfortable do you think it's pruning? I'm going to talk to this thing and I'm going to talk about how it's going to produce fruit and every little nodule here is the potential for a branch and apples will come on it and that's why I have to cut you. That's what Paul's talking about. Suffering. How do you suffer? You suffer because God has to prune in order to release all that he has in you. Get over it. How does he prune you? Through circumstances, through friendships, through things that faced in your life. Stop avoiding everything that's difficult and start facing it. What's God's promise? I will use everything to release my life and love into you. Stop asking me to get out of places and start going through them. What's your hope? Your hope is God knows what he's doing. He's already promised you I will never leave you or forsake you. You're my children. I'm a gardener. I know what I'm doing. Start living from that place and everything will change. You will see apples quicker than you know. Why? Because the supernatural is not like the natural, thank God. What's the promise in the supernatural? You are temples of the Holy Spirit. Go back to Ezekiel 47, I think. Out of the temple flows a river. Along its banks are trees. And what do they do? They have leaves and trees. And what do they do? They produce fruit and healing every season, every month, all the time. God just accelerates this process inside. Sometimes it's a bit longer than others, depending what, how difficult you are to prune. That's how you get hope. Hope is built... Don't yawn so loudly, Leoba. This is in, in, very interesting. This is very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Do you want the apple to eat while you're waiting? Okay. Anybody want an apple to eat while you're waiting? Does that help you? The hope is that apples are coming. 
And, and, and none of us probably are going to be on our knees asking God to bring apples in the next two months. On our trees. They might come from California, but they're not going to come from our trees. Because we understand how it works. Well, the same is true in your life. What you need to do is say, Jesus, I want you to be the gardener of my life. Show me where things are getting in the way, where it's overgrown. Show me where things are not in track. And you know what? He's going to use the people around you. He's going to use what you read. He's going to use all kinds of ways to talk to you. Don't be so spiritual that you think you can go up in the prayer room and everybody, everything's going to happen. It's not. It's going to happen through the ordinariness of life. Extraordinary things will happen. And God, who is supernatural, will do more than you can ask or imagine. Whoa, we've got to stop. Although I know you're loving this. So. Actually, we, you know, we, we are ready to stop. I'll just go one more thing because it's really cool. You know, in John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He meant it. You can't do anything in the spiritual world without him. You will not find joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness without him. You just won't find it. You'll find a... I meant to bring that. Actually, it's in my office. But I could have brought a fake fruit and a fake, a fake uh, plant and said, if you don't follow Jesus, that's what you settle for. Fake. It does not have any aroma. It does not have any taste. It looks good, but the bears don't come for it. Nothing comes for it. Because there's no fragrance. There's nothing to attract. Just looks good from a distance. Who wants to be like that? And yet many of us have sold out to that mindset. Because that's the mindset of our age. Fake it and you'll make it. Look good and it'll all be cool. We are sold on that. Appearances is everything. Image is everything. But every single week you read in the news some other person who lived like that has killed themselves or is deeply addicted because they cannot live with the inside. So what do we do with ourselves? This is a, I'm going to close with the feeding of the 5,000 and there's a one phrase in there I just want to show you and then we're going to pray and God's going to do some stuff. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 9, chapter, uh, verse 10. You know the story, they're out in Galilee on the shores of Galilee. They've been there for a couple of days. It's one major conference and they've got no catering. And the disciple, Jesus turns to the disciples and he does this. And I think he actually must laugh himself silly because he knew what they were going to do. And he says, they, they come to him and say, and people do this all the time, that why don't you do something? Lots of the gossips do that. They come with you bad news. Why don't you do something? And Jesus turns around and says, well, why don't you? Because they came to him and said, all these people, they're hungry. Do something. And Jesus says, well, why don't you feed them? And what did they say? You give them something to eat, he says in verse 13. Then he said this. They answered, we only have, two, only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd and that's going to take all our earnings. We don't have any money. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Oh, man, that sucks. Shoot. I was hoping we could do something. Now we can't because we don't have enough. Everything God does is starts with not enough. You know what happens next? This is the key to hope. This is the key to everything. It's not good news. Why is it not good news? Because you're busted. You're totally busted. Why are you busted? 
because God doesn't really go by too much quantity. It says the faith of a mustard seed. You see, I've always used my mustard seed and my two loaves or my five loaves as an excuse. You don't understand. This is all I have. I'm not like you. It's easy for you. This is all I have. This is cool, isn't it? You're busted. There's not one person sitting here who doesn't have something. What happens? Jesus says to them, well, get everybody to sit down. I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing. Get everybody to sit down. They all sit down in, in groups because he's, he's setting them up in distribution groups to be able to give them food, but there's no food. And what does he do? Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Disciples said, we only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, you have five loaves and two fish? Cool. Get them to sit down. Father, I thank you for these five loaves and two fish. And they were all fed. It was the same five loaves and two fish that were in the disciples' hands as nothing in Jesus' hands with the beginning of a miracle. And I would suggest to you that in your hands and your pockets and in your life you have five loaves and two fish that you are saying is worthless and God is saying, give it to me to work with. Watch what happens. Every, every single person has something. And if you give it to me, watch miracles happen. Because I am the God who is able to make things out of nothing. And what happens if you lived your life from now on with that kind of expectancy? That I'm going to make what I have available and see what happens. I'm never going to give an excuse again. I'm going to call myself on my excuses, on my unbelief, or my lack of provision. And I'm going to start... The key to growth is thanking God for what you have. So every one of us could thank him for something. And I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm merely saying, even in the midst of your life right now where you don't have things, what if God says, change it around a bit and watch what I'll do. If I can meet Nicodemus and if I can meet the woman at the well and if I can meet Mary and if I can meet other people, I can meet you. Because I love you. And if I can bring an apple out of a branch, I can certainly bring fruit out of you. Let's stand. If you've got pain, if you've got something wrong with you that you stood up for and uh, it is measurable, I'm going to ask you to come up to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to ask, if you've got something that's measurable, I'm going to ask you to come to the front because I'm going to ask God to heal in a measurable way that we can actually be a witness to. I promise you, you're not going to be embarrassed. Actually, the others sit down if you want because then you can... See. You see, we've learned something. We've learned that if we just talk and we never do anything, then we're just actually hiding behind the talk. So everybody standing here has got something measurable, that, that there's something that you could measure. Is it, otherwise, it's pain or something. Is that correct? So... 
on scales of one to ten, I, I'm not even going to ask you what's wrong with you. Just, you know, what is your, your level of discomfort or pain? Put your hand up and just tell me a number. Four. Four? Three. Three? Three? You come up because you've, got, you've only got a level of pain of three. It's still measurable. Six? Six. Three, five, 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 seven. So I don't have, I, I feel like this. I mean, I don't have any power in me. Nothing. Not one ounce. But Jesus said that he loves and he cares and he heals. So the rest of you just ask him to heal. How do you do that? You just say, Jesus, we release healing over these people in your name. Father, I just speak healing in, over these people right now. I speak to the conditions, whatever they are, and I command them to be loosened. I speak over afflicting spirits, which means spirits that get hand down through the lines of, we inherit things, just like we look, look, like, look like our grandparents. Sometimes we inherit uh, issues that come down through the bloodline. So Jesus, every person standing here, I place your cross between them and their, uh, their generations behind them and I break anything that's been passed down through them. I break the inheritance of diseases that we say, well, it runs in the family. Well, Jesus, in your name, it stops in these families right now. And you say, well, John, how can you say that? Because he's given me authority. How has he given me authority? Because he lives in me. All I'm doing is what anybody can do. He lives in me and he's not able to speak because he's not here visibly, so he's here visibly in me as he is visibly in you. And by his spirit we have authority and power. And as we speak them out, we declare things from the kingdom onto earth as in heaven. So we speak death to the, the diseases, the pain in the name of Jesus. We break pain in the name of Jesus. I speak to arthritis and I command it to be loosened. And if there's unforgiveness in you, because arthritis often comes with unforgiveness, if there's unforgiveness in you, and I'm just, what I'm doing now is I'm walking backwards and forwards and I'm trying to listen to God's spirit and I'm trying to just speak out things that come to my mind. So I'm just speaking out. If there's an attitude, there's somebody you haven't forgiven, if there's something that's unresolved, a very good thing to do is just say, Jesus, I forgive that person. That's a, that's a decision of the will. It's not a feeling. And I just speak forgiveness over them. Because forgiveness often will release healing. We speak to arthritis in the name of Jesus and break it down in the name of Jesus. You are able to restore knees in the name of Jesus. You are able to restore all kinds of things. So we acknowledge you as the Lord who is a healer. Has anybody got any change to their condition as they stand up? Test out what you're doing. We don't have to go to Brazil. God saves us lots of plane tickets. He says, I'm with you here. Rest in me. Abide in me. Relax. Years ago, I would have been so scared to do this because I'd be afraid that God wasn't going to do anything and I was going to look like an idiot. I just really trust him now. I trust him to, to be faithful. He's going to heal some people who are sitting down because you too, you, this is not a rebuke. You're just nervous about being up here. He goes, don't be afraid. I love you. I'm not going to hurt you. And there are deep personal issues that he wants to touch. There are issues in relationships, issues in your life. that He just says, don't be discouraged. I'm with you. 
I'll lead you through the process. Anybody got test what you, test what you came up for here? If it's measurable, test it. Is there any improvement? Is there anything that you can feel different? Speak to backs in the name of Jesus. Healing to backs in the name of Jesus. You're not going to hurt my feelings. How are you doing? You all look like you're a little scared here. Don't worry. I'm the one who's making my fool of myself. How's it going? What's? <laughs> I should have everybody laugh outroariously for a minute. You had a pain in your neck this morning? So take, take the, and it seems to be gone. Thank you, Jesus. What, what, take that fish, the fish and loaves thing, alright? You give thanks to God for the little you see and things increase. If you go, this is all I have and it hasn't all gone away yet, guess what? It doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah? Anybody else got anything you can bear witness to? I'm not going to force this. I'm just gently asking it. Because I really believe that this is the next phase God wants us to do, kind of show and tell, which is do it in front of people so people can see. Because he wants to raise the faith level. And if some of you are getting indignant and you're going, how dare you do this? Come and talk about it. I understand. Anybody else got anything? I want to know if there's any feedback. Is everybody here exactly the same? Father, I bless you for what you're doing. I bless you for what you're doing. And just receive. The way you receive is you thank him, Jesus, that you're in me. Thank you that you're working in me. I'm not going to be sitting here for a whole day trying to get you to feel better. Because I know that he's going to do more. I'm just giving us an opportunity to give feedback. Yes. I've been jammed up in my um, pelvis on the right side and it, the testing on it was extension was really painful and I can still feel it but I can lean back way more without the sharp pain. So there's an improvement. Thank you Father. There's an improvement. Thank you Jesus. Some of us were impressed. Others are, I can't do better than that. <laughs> Anybody else before we finish? So D, you telling Brian to tell me something and he's saying, no, he's not. Why not? You're messing around with something wild here, man. Have you had some improvement to something? It seems to be. I, I well, then you say yes. Okay, yes. What happened to you? Well, the, the shoulder is more mobile and the back is definitely more mobile. But and that's just bad news, isn't it? Well, no. It, it, it's it just depressing, from, isn't it? It goes from zero to eight on frequently. So okay, do you want to carry on doing that? No. no. So, <laughs> why don't we change up something then? Okay. So, Jesus, we just speak complete healing to Brian's body and to his spirit in the name of Jesus. Don't worry, it's not that awkward. You're just a guy with a pain. <laughs> so, Father, we bless him. We thank you that you will release healing. And, and that this, this, will, this, this arm will be raised up like that and that you will just release your presence into Brian. There's a significant improvement. So is that good? Yes. So just say that a bit louder. Yes? Yes. Yes, That's loud. That's you loud. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yay, yay, yay. (laughs) 
Anybody else before we go on? I really don't want to, I'm not pressuring you. Part of, part of the point of this is also for us to get used to it as a congregation of, of saying, of course we're going to ask. Yes? I have a really bad knee. Actually, my doctors say it's a mess. But yes. I did have a really pain. And the pain is gone, but it's still, I could feel it cracking. So, Father, we just pray for Lisa's knee. We pray complete healing, and the doctor will be astounded. And it's always fun to astound doctors, isn't it? So we bless you, Father. We thank you for doctors. I'm not speaking against the medical profession at all. We need them, and God uses them. But it's also fun when we don't need them. So, Father, we bless that. Father, I just uh, thank you that you're teaching us how to live with, with uh, supernatural hope. And for those who are standing here, we just pray ongoing healing. For those who are seated, we pray ongoing faith to rise up and healing. And that we will just become increasingly a church that has amazing hope for what we don't yet see. So I bless what you're doing in the name of Jesus. I bless the work of your spirit. I bless the seasons that you take us through. And that we will be a people who will embrace suffering and we will persevere and we will have character that carries hope. Because the real character that carries hope is the character that stands up when everybody else is hopeless and says, but God. That's the hope we're talking about. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much.